Hi, this is Alex Taropoli from Red for Your Fire, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Enjoy! Metalhead Scott here and Richie and amazingly in the studio together in these uh, wonderful freaking uh, don't look here comes another variant times <laughs> and uh, good to see you and uh, we're uh, fast approaching the end of the year and uh, yeah the weather has definitely decided that uh, yeah, we're going to be cold now again in Massachusetts but uh, still got some good hot metal going on and this week Richie reached out to uh, Ben Jackson from uh, Crimson Glory. So if this week and next week, two great weeks of good stuff with Ben. And uh, yeah, just I just had a blast editing the interview, hearing all the stuff that he was talking about. Just really a lot of deep diving on that one. Um, are you a fan? Um, not like, not huge, no. Um, I have some of their stuff in my library, but it was never uh, like really, you know, big on my radar. Yeah, I hit I hit Ben up because the debut album was '86, so I was mm-hmm. 30, 35 years old. Christ, <laughs> um, and every so often I like to get these guys on when album anniversaries come up. If I if they I can get in touch with them, and yeah. if they say yes, yeah. And you did. Do, I mean, just judging from your conversation, you did a crap load of work of trying to get. Anybody on from the band? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can, I'm not going to go into that. I actually went into it with Ben. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Let's just say that Ben was not the first person I contacted out of Crimson Glory to get on the show, and I'll leave it there. Um, you can figure out who I might be talking about. <laughs> well, and, and, and if you listen to the next two weeks of interviews, um, you be able to figure out who yeah. Richie's talking about, too. Yeah. And it actually wasn't about the debut. It was about a, another record. But but anyway, I digress a little. Um, so originally the idea was to get Ben on to talk about the debut. And I didn't say anything about talking about anything else. Yeah. And what this ended up being was a history of Ben and, and the band. Yeah, yeah, I went yeah. Through, I went through everything. I yeah. started in the beginning and we just kept going. Yeah, and, and you actually, you were able to, to bridge pretty well the time period where he wasn't in the band. And he actually talked about it. Um, he wasn't one of these guys, I'll throw a name out there, like Rob Halford. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've never listened to anything that Ripper ever did. Yeah, right. He wasn't like that uh-huh. at all. He, he actually did listen to it, and he talked about it, shared his opinions on it, even though he wasn't in the band. Yep. Um, and actually, that's a... And it wasn't like a one or two minutes we talked about that. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the Strange and Beautiful record. Yeah, that's what I mean about you guys did really effectively bridge that gap where he wasn't there. Yeah. Mm. Um, we talked all about that, and then we went right up to when Todd LaTorre was in the band, and mm. we just kept going. We just, and what they're doing now, and um, he was just really, really good. He was... He was a guy. He was a guy. I always wanted to have someone on from that band. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, and I know we had Todd on, but yeah. when I'm talking about Crimson Glory, I'm talking about someone from the original lineup, right? And, and that's what's interesting too about this particular set of shows too is that I think nowadays a lot of times you talk Crimson Glory and people think, oh, Todd Latore, 
and in reality, he's really way, way, way at the tail end of that that band. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, when we talked about Wade, he talked about Wade Black. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd actually forgotten Wade was in the band, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just kept going, kept talking. I think I was on the phone with him for ninety minutes. Um, some stuff we can't talk about. Yep. Some a lot of stuff that we we can, um, and you're going to hear it. Um, another box ticked for me. Yeah. Someone from Crimson Glory on that Transcendence album that came out in '88 blew my mind when I heard it. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing, amazing record. Um, I can still put that on, and it's still a fantastic album. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think part of it too, much. which really is is, I think shows is that. Um, you know, they got a lot of interest um, and he- guidance, I guess. I was going to say help, but more guidance from the Morris brothers. And so I think they had some some good people guiding them as well. And I think it shows on albums like that. I think that they had good people guiding them and then not so good people guiding them. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, like a lot of bands they might put out this vision of everything is fine and nothing's going on in the background and yeah. that can derail anything and we're all the best of buddies. Yeah. They, they weren't. Right. And I think nearly every band in that era, uh, they had their moments where they all did, just didn't get on. Yeah. But there was no social media. Right. Um, the magazines were in on it, but they didn't actually publish a lot of mm-hmm. it because you scratch my back, I scratch yours right. kind of a deal. Yep. Um, and o- now it's so far back that when these guys do interviews now, I think they're a lot more open to uh, to discussing how they felt about yeah, certain albums like and certain yeah. members of bands. And um, again, I, I went into this, you know, you know, I I don't I don't look for dirt. Yeah, I never look for dirt. I just ask questions, and you know, if they choose to go somewhere. With that question, yeah. that's up to them. If they don't, that's fine too. Yep. Um, but what you'll find with Ben is he's pretty balanced about his time in the band, very honest about certain other members in the band. Yeah. Um, he loves the band. I, like, it, it, it's, this isn't like a, I'm going to just kick Crimson Glory to the curve now because, you know, mm-hmm. of what happened to me years ago when right. when I got fired. And, and there, was, there was really none of that. He does love... Yeah, he seems to still be like a, a fan of of the band. Yeah, yeah. De- most definitely. Yeah, and um, he's very honest about all of it. Yeah, and I was just glad to spend so much time with him. He could have, after I started talking about the second that record, and then I got on to Strange and Beautiful. He could have easily said to me, uh, "You know, are, are we wrapping it up here mm. because I've already, you know, you told me you were only going to talk about the debut, but right. we talked about everything." Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think that part of him still being, you know, such a, a fan of what he did with the band is that he just was, you know, right in on it, right? And like, yeah, I was going to keep on talking about it because mm. I, 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 it's part of a huge part of my life and I'm really big on it still. So, and yeah. I, and again, this is one I set up directly with him, no PR people. Yeah. That, that can sometimes make it a lot easier. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Uh, and I'll, right, I'll say this, right? And I'm not going to, I'll tell you off the air who it is, right? Um, so there's been a, a couple of artists on my wish list. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about PR now, right? There's been a couple of artists on my wish list that I've always wanted to interview. 
and one of them I was offered it about a month ago, but offered to schedule. Mm -hmm. And then I, I get the email saying that he's going to be doing interviews early next year. You have 15 minutes with him. <laughs> and I, I didn't even respond. It's the best album ever. It's the best producer it's ever. No, it's a tour. Ah. Um, you have 15 minutes with him. And I'm like, 15 minutes, really? Yeah, that's... And that's... I, I looked at the email and I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, it's not worth that. I mean, it's 15 minutes. That's a, that's a radio spot thing where it's, it's, there's no meat, there's no nothing. There's three questions you can ask, ask him, and they're all the same. Yeah. And it's basically leaving no room to ask anything else. Right. And, and, like, and whatever no. you, and whatever, and, you know, those, basically those three questions are the same three questions everyone else is going to answer so, or ask. So you could just listen to anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So what are we offering that, you know, 80 other shows out and there are? The thing that, piss me off is the, the the actual guy doing interviews is really knowledgeable very very good talker and um, very smart mm -hmm. he's been in the business a long time yeah and you're given 15 minutes with him to talk about a tour and i'm like no right i'm not even i'm not even going after it i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't so yeah. anyway all right <laughs> so so now that we get everyone revved up what do you say we uh we kick it off with uh Part one of your talk with Ben Jackson. Yeah. All right. Is that Ben Jackson? Yes. Hey, it's Richie here for the interview. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Richie? I'm okay. I'm looking forward to this. I think I've never had anyone on from Crimson Glory. Mm -hmm. and one, of the, one of the things I love about doing the show that I'm doing, I'm doing it nearly 10 years. Some people will ask me why I do it, and I say, well, look at it this way. I have a record collection, and my goal is to talk to as many people in my record collection as I can. Mm -hmm. So your right so your box is one now that I can take off. Yes, absolutely. Um, do you get asked a lot about Crimson Glory still? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, another another guy wanted me to join him on his uh, podcast this Thursday night at nine. Okay. So we'll be doing another similar one like this Thursday. Okay, to talk about the the debut record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so when when I say it's thirty five years old, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh man, where did time go? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what's your memory like back then? Because I'm going to get, I probably might get fairly specific. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I remember everything quite well. Okay, okay. So from, from what I understand, the genesis of the band was you and Dana. Um. What I want to ask first is, uh, how did you find John, Jeff, and Midnight, and in what order did they join the band? Um, well, Dana and I had a, a high school band, and, and we had a few people coming in and out of that band over a couple of years, and uh, we did jam with Jeff first. We had him come in and play with us, one of our early high school bands, and we jammed with him a little bit, and then he went on and jammed with other bands. But I guess... Uh, 
in, in the lineup that we had going with Dana and I, it turned into Crimson. I think John was the first one we invited to join. We were, Dana and I were rehearsing at a rehearsal place where we used to share with a bunch of other bands. And John was this new young guy that moved into the complex across the hall, and he was over there jamming, and we were listening to him through the door, just going, wow, listen to this guy. We got to ask him to join our band. Okay. And, uh, it was kind of funny. He kind of he was in his little practice room jamming and playing Randy Rhodes licks and stuff, and he opened the door, and me and Dana were just kind of leaning on the door listening. <laughs> like, hey, hey, buddy, we got to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and how old how old were all you guys then? I think Dana and I were 18 and John was 16. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 And then so we invited him to join the band. And when he first joined, we had a different singer and bass player. And we were actually just doing a lot of cover songs, you know, everything from Def Leppard and Rainbow and Ozzy and whatever, Iron Maiden and stuff. And so the first couple of years of that band with John, we, we were just covering songs, just having fun and playing some high school, you know, concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. I remember one, one time we played actually at John's high school. He wanted us to, can we play at my high school? I'm like, of course we will. Sure, John. That was fun. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, after after John joined, then, uh, we we uh, like, let the bass player go that we had at that time. It wasn't quite working out. We invited Jeff to join. And Dana and I knew him from before, and we were telling John, "We know that we know this guy. He's going to be great. He's, he's super good. And let's let's get Jeff." So we got Jeff in, and uh, we had a different singer at first with the four musicians and a different singer named Mark Orms. And um, when he didn't work out, um, we all knew Midnight from school, and he wasn't much of a heavy metal or a rocker. He was more like a guy who played folk music, acoustic guitar, and sang at people's, you know pool parties and stuff and kind of like a, a mellower kind of cat and um but he sang so good and had this great voice so we invited him out let's, let's try out this guy at midnight and then we thought he might not fit the metal thing um, but he actually sounded great and did fit the metal thing pretty well yeah yeah um so the direction that the music went when you got Midnight in, were, were you guys looking for that, you know, um, techno metal, uh, like Judas Priest kind of a sound? Were you looking for that anyway? Yeah, I think so, because a lot of the songs we did cover, when, you know, we did Judas Priest songs like, like Solar Angels and stuff like that. We used to love to play some Scorpion songs. And so that was kind of the direction we liked. And, you know, one day after midnight came in, we, we all just kind of had a talk one day and said, you know what, we, we're not going to get anywhere playing cover songs. We don't want to be a local, you know, bar band. So let's just, let's stop doing that right now and just, let's just write originals and be an original band. And we all agreed. And we, we were actually still pretty young, so like 18 or 19, when we just decided that. Hmm. And, and uh, so we started writing, and I think the stuff we were writing had a little blend of, you know, Maiden and Dio kind of to it and some of those earlier songs. Yeah. Um, what was the metal scene like in Florida back then? Like, was it easy to get gigs if you were doing original material? Yes, it was a lot better then than it is now. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the 80s, there was, there was a lot of um, local hard rock or metal clubs 
a couple in Tampa, Clearwater, Sarasota, Bradenton. And it was always seemed like some place to play. And uh, now it's a little bit more like there's not as many clubs around here. And the ones that there are just kind of cater to cover bands. They don't really want original bands. It's mm. a, little, a little different. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of venues up this way. And what a lot of them have now, I, I, I get it. They want to fill the fill the places. They have a lot of tribute bands now. And tribute bands and cover bands. Yeah. Or what the clubs feel more comfortable with, you know, but. But once in a while, if we can plan and find a venue and pick the right date, then we can put together an original show. And we, we still do. Hmm. Um, We're not crimson, not crimson right now, but I yeah. mean, all of us sort of have other projects and we still play and stay busy. Yeah. Um, can you remember the first live show that the 5E did? Yeah, actually, I think the first live show we played, uh, we opened for Paul Deano's Battle Zone. Oh, wow. Um, and he was he was in Tampa doing a show at a place called the London Victory Club, and we we got invited to open. And I think we we either just had the first I don't think the first album was out yet. I think we just kind of finished recording it. Okay. And, um, we were uh, you know at that point ready to start playing out, and um, so we opened the show with them. That was pretty cool. Hmm. And we are we are all big Iron Maiden fans, so when we we found out we're playing with Paul Deano, we all got excited. <laughs> Did you get a chance to sit down and talk to Paul? Um, briefly in the in, in the backstage area, we chatted, hung out a little bit. Okay, nice. okay. Remember his band, Battle Zones? I do. I remember it. Yeah, he had a couple of bands after Made, and I remember that one. That was the first gig we ever played as Crimson Glory <laughs> in Tampa with Paul Diano. Yeah. So, so did the sound of the first album? Did that? come pretty quickly before it or did you try different styles and then settle on that one it sort of came pretty quickly to be honest because when we stopped doing um covers and said let's do originals i think the first few songs that we wrote and dabbled in kind of were right in that style right from the get-go okay yeah uh yeah, and when you look at the uh, when you look at the credits, your name doesn't come up much in the songwriting. D did you write a lot, and it just didn't get picked? Um, you know, no, I didn't write as much then as I do now, and um, I think you know I, I wanted to, and but I think when we first started writing originals, and John and Jeff were just coming up with more um, solid parts and songs, so we just Dana and I helped with the arrangements and just you know, put our input in where we could and and we just kinda went with that formula at first. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I wanted to get involved with the writing more and, you know, sometimes, you know, at that stage of the game when we were young, everybody's headstrong and it was kinda like I was the soft spoken guy in the band where John's personality was a little more dominant, so maybe he got his way a little more, I don't know. Hmm. Um did you write a lot of songs? In the beginning, or um, yeah, we, we had a few songs that we wrote that didn't appear on the first album. Okay, you know, like one, one was called "Fire in Your Eyes" or something like that. One was called "Chain to You." Okay, um, some, some of these were pretty cool songs. I think the one called "Chain to You" eventually even um, some of the riffs from that one ended up in our song "Valhalla" from the first album. Okay, but, but we we wrote you know and demoed at least half a dozen songs before we actually started really writing the songs for the record. Okay. Um, ben, whose idea was it to wear the masks? 
Um, that was kind of an idea that John Draining and Warren Wyatt, our old manager, came up with one day while they were on, their, on a drive over to my house for a planned photo shoot that day, and, and we were all getting together to do a little photo shoot, and they showed up at my apartment with this mask. They picked up some costume shop, and they like, came in like, hey, we got this idea. First, I'm like, oh, yeah? And uh, so we dabbled around with doing a photo shoot that day with us all wearing these masks, and it just kind of grew from there. Hmm. spontaneous idea. I think those two were just in a costume shop somewhere on the, on the drive down to see me and they saw this and just went to they grab that. And, and we, we all just started talking about it that day and ended up doing that. Okay. And I'm just wondering, was there any V2 convincing that that was the right thing to do? <laughs> well, maybe a little bit to Jeff Lords because Jeff was always like the guy we had sort of, you know, convinced to do things. <laughs> Okay. Very serious mind, very serious minded guy, and always, you know, second guessing. And should we really do that? You guys sure we want to do that? <laughs> you know, we kind of had to probably talk him into it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about getting signed. Um, how many gigs did you do? Did you do any showcases for labels? Not really. Um, we um, we were recording our first album at Morristown in Tampa. And through, through just being in the studio, um, we met Dan Johnson from a label called Par Records that was in Dunedin, Florida. And, and Dan Johnson had produced the first Sabotage album, Sirens. Uh-huh. And he signed them to his label, Par Records, and also got them on Roadrunner in Europe. And we met we met Dan Johnson through hanging around Morrisound and stuff. And one day I just called him and said, hey. You know, we, we have a band. We have these songs that are coming out really well. More time, you want to check us out? You heard our stuff, and it's like, yeah, I want to sign you guys. So, so we signed. We signed the deal with Dan Johnson from Par Records, just from him meeting us, hanging around at More Sound, and him hearing our demos. And we never really played out or showcased for anybody. Oh wow! That's I do remember that, that he was friends. Um, Dan knew Metal Mike from Art Shock Magazine over in the Netherlands. And um, so Dan invited Mike to come over from the Netherlands and hear us in our rehearsal and, and check us out. So I remember that was kind of exciting because we didn't have the album out yet. And we had Dan Johnson and Metal Mike from uh, the magazine. He came over from Europe just to hear us and see us. And they came to our rehearsal. And I just we pretty much blew them both away. They were hearing Midnight and all the cool things we were doing. Hmm. Huh. Um, so Mike started writing good things about us in, in the magazine Art Shock, you know, right away, and it sort of got got our name going in Europe before the record even came out. We got a little bit of a buzz. Yeah, I interviewed Mike a couple of years ago. He, he I think he brought you over to the Art Shock Festival, I think in '88, with Letterwolf yeah. and Queensrÿche and yeah, House yeah. of Lords. Yeah, he had a lot to do with getting Crimson Glory over to Europe the first time, and. And, you know, we were all young guys and he set us up over there with lodging and and transportation and hooked us up with some gigs. We, we had a lot to thank him for. Yeah. Now, recording the first record, uh, did you do much pre-production with, with Dan before he went into the studio? Yeah, actually, we did. We 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 recorded probably every song on the record at some point, you know, in, in a smaller or cheaper studio just to sort of get things prepared or Sometimes on you know, four-track recorders we had back then that we would all demo on. 
Mm. Uh, I remember, yeah, there's some early, there's some early demos of Azriel and some of those songs where we did them maybe two or three times before we hit the studio for, for the real album. Mm. Um, what about getting your guitar sound in the studio? Was that easy for you to do? Yeah, it came pretty easy because Jim Morris and his brother Tom Morris were, you know, they were getting good sound in the studio. It seemed like back then at Morris Sound in the 80s, anybody that rolled in there to record, they were getting good sounds. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of, you know, sometimes we'd bring albums in and let Jim hear it, say we kind of like this, this band's guitar sound and, and we kind of like this band's guitar sound and he's like, well, make up your mind. Those are two totally different guitar sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and we, 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 we were young, just going, oh, okay, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, before, but, uh, yeah. before you did this record, had you any studio experience at all? Um, we we did have just a little bit of studio experience, just recording some of the songs, um, early drafts in some local studios in our town, Sarasota, and a couple of studios like Telstar Recording and Shady Lady. Okay. These these studios weren't on on the level of a Morris sound, but there were some local studios where we went in and, and got a little bit of experience. Mm-hmm. But when we actually went to Morris Sound to do the first series of demos, you know, we didn't have that much experience. Okay. You know, but but Jim Jim Morris was a, a good guiding hand. Hmm. Um did Dan give you any suggestions? as to the song arrangements at all, or did he just take the songs as they were? Dan? Yeah. Yeah, he, he did. He came in a little bit and, and got into the producing mode with us. You know, he had a little bit of suggestions here and there. Try this, try that. Okay. Not, not too much. I mean, I, I think everything was pretty much written and, and pretty set the way we wanted it. But, but um, you know, Jim Morris was recording, was engineering the first album, and Dan Johnson was producing. So of course he's gonna, you know, make some suggestions and, and try to get you know involved as a producer does. Mm. Now, um, that, that studio became famous with Scott Burns for for the death metal. Around that yeah. around that time, did you have any sense at all that there was going to be a burgeoning death metal scene happening in Florida? Could you sense it? Well, yeah, I could sort of see it brewing and see it happening, you know, and and all all these, you know, some of these bands from Tampa, we would see them at Morris Sound and Deicide and, and Morbid Angel and some of these bands. And Scott was usually the guy producing all of them. Hmm. And, um, you know, Scott actually would, I think he probably engineered some of the Crimson Glory sessions on certain days when, you know, he came in to assist Jim or something. I mean, we all knew Scott pretty well, too, and he, he had a, a little bit of a hand here and there with some of the things we were doing. Mm. But most, mostly we were engineered by Jim Morris and his brother, Tom. Okay. Because back then they, they were doing more of the prog metal and, and they weren't doing so much of the, the uh, death. Yeah. Uh, just Scott was. Scott yeah. was more than death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how long did it take to record the record? Uh, you know, probably a year with just various sessions going in there. Wow, took that you were you, you were in and out the whole time recording it? No, I mean we, in fact our schedule allowed us to go in and, and, and sometimes, you know, work a couple of days a week and sometimes, you know, we go and put a few days in a row and sometimes we we'd be off a month and then come back to it. So Did you like did you did you like doing it that way? Because 
that, 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 that wasn't really the normal way of doing it. Like you'd book like six weeks or whatever, or two months. You go in, you do the record, and then you're finished with it. I'd rather do that way. Yeah, that's. You know, this wasn't ever really too practical for us. I think we went when we went and did the first five songs at More Sound. Um, it was their their first location of their studio, which was kind of a smaller place. And I think the first five song demo was is what got us the record deal. Huh. And then More Sound built another studio, like in another building, and upgraded and built this new elaborate location. And that's when we went in there and um, pretty much recorded all those first five songs over that we did along with a few more. And we did the whole, the whole record at that point at the new more sound. Mm. But yeah, I think we were just in, you know, when we could get in, I, I can't say it took a whole year, but it probably might've taken close to that with varying visits up there. Wow. When you're recording the record, did you write any other songs that ended up on the record in that year or were they all written beforehand? Well, um, all the songs that appeared on the record, the eight songs were pretty much the only songs we had. <laughs> okay. And plus Dream, Dream Dancer was a song that we put out um, on, as a single, which was, uh, I think, on, you know, some of the some of the album copies as a bonus track. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the song Dream Dancer, but it was like the ninth song. Yeah, I've got the... I've got the CD in front of me, and that's the bonus track. So that was recorded in the in the same sessions. Yes. Okay, and it just ended. We even we even, we even did that one twice. I think we did Dream Dancer at the first more sound, and then did it again. Okay. Okay. Um, and then for some reason decided to not put it on the actual album, but just use it as a bonus. Okay. Was that because the the, the length of the album would have been too long with that on it? Was that the reason? Probably, yeah, that was probably the longest song on the record. And back then, you know, breaking the vinyl, you always had to keep in mind that, you know, the grooves can only accommodate so many so many minutes of music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back then, having an eight-song record was kind of commonplace. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So how frustrating was it for you guys as a band? to record the album over that length of time, because nowadays there's no label in the world it'd allow you to do that because they'd want the album done and get it out and marketed. So you you, you must have had, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? You must have had a label that was, you know, very kind to you guys, liked you a lot and said, you know, when the album is done, it's done, and then we'll just release it. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean... You know, it might have even gone a little quicker than that, but I remember what definitely wasn't done in a, in a month or two. It was, yeah. it was sort of, it was sort of spread out. Okay. You know? Okay. So, what was um, what was the hardest tractor to nail down? Can, is there one that stands out to you where it was really difficult to to get it right? Hmm. Well, I mean, we used to really rehearse our butts off back then and just really, you know, go over guitar parts and practice them at home and really prepare ourselves. And so did Dane and Jeff on all the rhythm section stuff. So when we actually went to the studio, you know, I wouldn't say anything was terribly difficult. You know, we just went in and, and did the work. I mean, there's always the technical aspect of when you're tracking, you know, you want to make sure everything's very well timed and all the tuning is great and let's let's try this and let's try this again and let's try it again and sometimes we would 
we would labor over certain parts longer than other parts to try to get them just right. Mm-hmm. But that's that's all part of the you know the fun, mm. the magic. You know, when you're in the studio, sometimes it's very laborious and time consuming. But but I, mean, I love it. I love recording. Okay. One of the things that stood out for you guys, I remember when this album came out, was just the vocals. Um, watching Midnight record those vocals in the studio, were you there when, when he did the vocals? Because his performance on this record especially is astonishing. Yeah, I was there, definitely. Sitting in the control room when he would track all the parts. And, and um, you know, sometimes he would know when he had a couple lines that he just loved. He goes, yeah, I love those. Should we play them back? Yeah, those are keepers. Sometimes of us would chime in and, and tell him, like, hey, we love that, man. We love that. Keep that, you know. As a band, we all kind of spurred each other on and coached each other to do the very best. It was, it was kind of a fun, magic time. Mm. What you said there is, I've interviewed a lot of musicians now that have made records. And a lot of them, when, when their parts are done, they disappear. They don't even hang around for the other parts, like the vocals. So you, it's great to hear that you, you guys were all there when he was doing it. Um, yeah, back then, working on that first album, everybody would be there for everybody's parts. And, and then they'd come back on another day when they didn't have anything to do. We just, we'd always be present and you know, coaching each other on, saying, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I remember, though, when it came time to mix the album was that um, Jim Morris did not want the whole band there. He's like, I can't have five guys sitting in the room telling me they want this, they want that. He's like, you guys, you know, you better select two guys and have two guys come up with me and, and we'll mix the record. <laughs> so we all had to kind of vote. <laughs> I, I remember last year I interviewed Bo Hill, the producer. And mm-hmm. one of the things he told me, and he's done... God knows how many platinum records in the eighties. He he didn't want any of the band members there at all. Yeah, because he he I, didn't he didn't he didn't want four or five different opinions no. on on a, on a mix that he was in charge of doing. So his his thing what was, I'll mix it, then I'll leave you listen to it, then you can make a suggestion, then I'll mix it, and then it's done. Yeah, that's the I get that. Yeah, yeah. so it what should be. Yeah, so when this record was done, were you guys happy with the way it sounded? Yeah, we were we were really blown away. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, like I say, we were young, and it's just, you know, we, we had recorded some some worse-sounding demos in some other smaller studios, and we went into more sound, started hearing our, our music coming through the speakers in there, and the way they were putting it together, we were very happy. We were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Me being from Europe, I know what this sort of metal means t- over there. That, you know, it's probably a bigger market for you guys in Europe than it would have been in the U.S. at the time. Was that something you yeah. were aware of when this record came out, that your bread and butter for that that sound really was in Europe, that that's where you'd have to go? Well, we found out as we went along. I guess we didn't really know that. Um, you know, Dan and... and Metal Mike got us over in Europe, and the, the very first gigs we did were over in the Netherlands and playing Hard Shock Fest and stuff. And of course, there was still back then in the '80s there was quite a thriving metal scene in America too. And, and we thought, well, hopefully we'll be big in America and Europe. And you know, we were hoping we'd just shoot for the stars and be big everywhere. 
Yeah. But, but, but we saw, you know, almost right away that, okay, we're really catching on in Europe. And we don't have that many fans in America. We have a few, but it's, it's not like what's, what's happening in Europe um, around this record. Hmm. You know. um, did you get a lot of people comparing you to Queensryche? And do you think that was fair? Yeah, actually, we did get a lot of comparisons to them. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I guess it was fair. I mean, they were probably, you know, one of the only other bands out at that time that that, that had a vocalist that was kind of doing, you know, similar style. I mean, we were kind of proggy. They were kind of proggy. Um, Jeff Tate seemed very kind of uh, operatic and emotional you know, passionate kind of delivery and then midnight came out. So some, some people said, well, they were a little Queens Reiki, but it wasn't really that we were that much sounding like them. I think they were just really maybe the only band out there people could compare us to. Hmm. They're like, well, if we have to say they sound like somebody, I guess we could say they sound like a little like um, Queens Reich or Maiden or, or, or combo of the two. And so we got compared to them a little bit, hmm. but I, I, I was flattered. I thought they were great. And, you know, it wasn't wasn't a bad band to have people compare you to. Yeah, true. But, but we were we were quite different from them. You know, we were definitely our own our own beast. We weren't we weren't exactly like them. Yeah, yeah. I think you were more. You sounded a lot more like Queen's like the Warning record. I think that that was more of a a traditional metal yeah. record. I think when Queens, like they, they were kind of branching away from that and you, you guys weren't, I think, yeah, it was definitely, I think midnight's vocals. I think that's yeah. where they made the comparison that, that high operatic vocal yeah. sound. Sure, and, sure. and there wasn't a lot of bands, new bands that were like you, you guys and Queens, right at the time. No. So we sort of, you know, fell into those comparisons. Yeah. There were some similarities. Yeah, I think, uh, our, I think our first album came out right about the time their Rage for album, uh, their Rage for Order album came out. Yeah, and that sounds that was their, that's that's third that's, offering. Yeah, and that sounds really nothing like your debut record. No, no. Yeah. Um. So who did you tour with on the debut album? Is there any um, any big bands you went out with? supported yeah actually on the first time we went over to europe we we were opening act for anthrax oh wow and and celtic frost okay and um we we did a tour maybe you know a month-long tour all over europe where where anthrax was the headliner and celtic frost and crimson glory would take turns playing first or middle okay and some nights some nights it would be us first and other nights we'd be in the middle okay so that was that was pretty much our first trip over to Europe in 87. I think we were opening for Anthrax. And when you went over to Europe, had you been really outside the U.S. before then? No. So, no. Te so tell me about going to Europe for the first time. Did it, was it, did it meet all your expectations? Yes, it was for, for <laughs> the, first time, the first time we went over there, we were supposed to be playing um, the Art Shock Festival. Metallica and Slayer and a few other bands and I think um, we went over there to, to the Netherlands and Metal Mike was also going to have us play some other local little metal clubs around the Netherlands where we would headline and it'd be our show hmm. with maybe a, lo a local band opening so we went, we went over there to do you know the big show plus a few smaller shows and when we got there um, the, the big show got cancelled 
and I think it might have been because of Metallica's bass player dying yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. And so then the first art shock that we were booked on actually got rescheduled for like, um, you know, a half a year or a year later or something. So the first time we went over there, um, the show got canceled, but we went ahead and, and, and did like three weeks of just playing around the Netherlands and clubs. Mm. We, we went to play the Art Shock Festival, but when it got canceled, at least we made good use of the time over there, and we got a little experience under our belts just playing, you know, metal clubs in the Netherlands. And I think that's the only country we played in. We played like a whole handful of clubs, but just in the Netherlands. Oh, you, you didn't you, you didn't make it to England at all? Not that first time, no. Oh, oh then, wow. And, and we, we went home, and then when that festival got rescheduled, like the year later whatever we went back over and we did play the festival and then we were also on tour with anthrax for for our other dates opening for them and that was our second trip to europe okay um did you get a chance to hang with the anthrax guys at all yeah we did they they were pretty cool okay they were all pretty friendly okay and um when we played all around when we played with anthrax it wasn't just the netherlands on our second trip over there we were playing the netherlands and germany and Went over to the UK and uh, we played Hammersmith Odeon. Oh wow! With uh, Anthrax and Metal Church was on that night for some reason. So it's Celtic Frost. Okay. But, okay. But that was very memorable because I'm, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm like my first, I'm on my second trip over to Europe, and here we are playing the Hammersmith Odeon. You know, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. Mm. You know, mm. I used to, you know, you know, listen to some of my favorite albums as I was a kid were some of the live albums down there. Hmm. All right, listeners, that will do it for this week right here on Focus on Metal. Tune back in again next week. We're going to pick it up literally right from here, digging in more with another 45 to 50 minutes with uh, Ben Jackson as we dig further and further into Crimson Glory and the entire history right up into the Todd LaTorre era. So lots more good stuff coming up to you uh, next week. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as always, have yourselves a great metal week. Be safe out there. And remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Hey everybody, this is Rob Halford wishing you all a crazy heavy metal Christmas and an insane, wild, manic new year. You're still here? It's over. Go home.